Well, we're getting close to ending our time in Peter. We got today, this Sunday, and then next Sunday we'll finish this off. And uh, again, for those maybe new here today, let me review kind of where we've been. Again, the whole theme of Peter, Second Peter, has been how do you deal with false doctrines? How do you deal with false prophets, the mockers, and the moral compromise in the last days? And that's what Peter is writing to. For believers, he's talked about a divine supernatural thing that has taken place in your life. The salvation that is your, your something supernatural has happened inside of you. And because of that, God wants you to partake with him in his plan of redemption of man, which we'll again talk about today. Our salvation is made perfect. We can't add to it. But we are to diligently pursue that, which is now our faith. How do we grow in that? How do we learn more about who Christ is, who our Heavenly Father is? We talked about the Bible and how important the Bible is. It's the only absolute, infallible, inerrant, reliable source of truth. We've talked about judgment, which is a scene that you just saw. Judgment is sure and severe. Uh, it's going to take place, but God promises to rescue. He can rescue and judge all at the same time. God can multitask. Two weeks ago is don't be fooled by vomit-eating dogs or muddy pigs because there are those false teachers, there are those who are out there who just continue to wallow and those within the church as well that may play the game, may play the part, may have the words, but they just keep returning back to their old life. Then last week, some mock, some ignore, and some live lies as if it doesn't matter anymore. That's... And those are probably the most concerning to me, those who know the truth, but their lives just don't reflect that truth. Peter will hit on that again today. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphone devices, whatever, go to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to cover 8 through 13. Let me read that to us, and then we'll unpack it. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. I can't remember when I started using this phrase. I used it. Uh, for years, but it's this, that God's timing is rarely our timing, but his timing is always perfect. And that's true just about everything in our life. I mean, we want things now, we think our timing, and it rarely happens that way, at least in my life. But God's timing, when he sets things in motion, it is always perfect. In Second Peter here, he's talking about the end times now, he spends a couple verses talking about the end times. whole book of Revelation deals with that. So this is a very condensed view of it. And as we talked about when we did the book of Revelation, we have to keep in mind that 
Yeah, there are things that are happening, but it's wrapped up in mystery. We know some things that will take place. We're not, cur- not sure about the time, but it still remains a mystery. The things will unfold, and throughout time, people have tried to unpack that. We need to focus on what we do know, that Christ is going to come back. It's going to be a physical return. There is a heaven and a hell. There is going to be judgment someday. There is going to be the resurrection of the dead. And we will be with him forever. Those things we know, we just don't know the time. That's why Peter says in 2 Peter 3.8, he says, but do not forget. Remember, he's talking about memory, memory, remind, remind, remind. Do not forget this one thing, dear friend. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Psalm 90, verse 4 puts it this way, For a thousand years is in your sight or like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. He even shrinks it down even farther. And the thing about this, it seems like God has given us a secret key to understanding when he will come back. And so... I did some calculating. Now, this is my calculations. I'm not saying God gave me this, but so I figured, okay, a day is a thousand years. Then you got 2,000 years has happened since Jesus was here, 2,000 years. So that's basically two days, which leaves us, if God's number is the perfect number seven, which is 7,000, and you minus the 2,000, then that gives us 5,000 years. 5,000 years to go. No, okay. Jesus rose from the grave in three days. And if I count three days, it's 3,000 minus seven. That's still 2,000 years to go. So I factored in. I changed it all up. I factored in leap years. <laughs> and so I went back to leap years, which started in 445 B.C. This is all true. And there's 12 leap years until 1 B.C., and the Romans, the problem with the Romans, they use a kind of, a, I, I, their calendar was a little bit different. And so they took the 512 leap years, if the Roman calendar, at 12, that's 512 leap years. But we don't use the Roman calendar, we use the Gregorian calendar, which with the Gregorian calendar, you got to take the 512 and subtract the 15 years, and you get 497 leap years since 40, 49 BC. That 15 years divided by 1,000 gives us point. 0.015. You divide that by 24 hours a day, and Jesus, I figured Jesus is coming back in about two minutes. <laughs> now, here's the thing about numbers, guys. And some of you have been around churches where someone has figured out, he's coming back here, he's coming back at this time. We talked about a little bit that last week where people sold everything they had and went on top of a hill. We don't know. Even when Jesus was questioned, he says, hey, guys, that's up to my father. That's his call. So this is back to timing. Finite people must not confine an infinite God to our timetable. God's timetable, how he sees time, he's not bound by time like we are. Time is running out for us. We're one second closer to being dead than we were a second ago. That's just reality. That's weird because we have a certain timetable. God does not revolve around that. His thinking, the way he sees things, his plans are much different. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Luckily, God has written down his thoughts. We have the word of God, so we can see certain things. 
But what he wants to tell these readers of 2 Peter, Peter is trying to say, guys, God is not slow. That's what verse 9 said. As some consider slowness to be. He's not tardy. Okay, he, he, he is not just holding back. He's not being apathetic. He has the ability to do it at any point in time he wants to. He is not slow. God is working on a precise plan that he has set since the beginning of time. Isaiah 25, 1. Oh, Lord, you're my God. I will exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. God's got this. God's timing is rarely our timing, but his timing is always perfect. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is patient with you. This word patient is a, it's a, com, a, a, a combined word where it takes large and great anger and puts it together. God has a huge capacity to hold back his wrath. Because most of us, if it was up to us, we'd be throwing lightning bolts already a long time ago, right? God, though, is patient. Now understand, he's patient. He is holding back. His capacity to launch out is so huge, he's holding this back. And his patience is directed at who? Yeah. He's writing to the church here, guys. Joel 2.13 says this, Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. He is holding back his wrath because he's being patient with us in this room. Because he's writing to the church here. Now you can say, well, he's right, that you is those sinners who haven't repented. Well, that's true too. The you is everyone. He's being patient with the world. He's being patient with me. He's being patient with you. If you're not a believer here in Christ, he's still waiting. He's being patient with you. Because this you clearly speaks everything. Because God, I mean, people picture God. He's up there with lightning bolts ready just to throw down on anyone. Go ahead, screw up. Go ahead, screw up. See what I'll do to you. And many people have this view of this God who is always angry, always just, just wanting to pour this out. He's being patient because God does not delight in the death of anyone, of the lost. Luke 19, there's only a few places in Scripture where it talks about Jesus weeping. This is the second one. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Why? If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus is looking at that which he's created and they're turning away. They're choosing to go a different direction. And Jesus weeps over that. That's why the rest of verse 9, he's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
Now, let me ask you if you believe this or not. Do you, know, do you believe that there's nothing you can, can do to have God stop loving you? I mean, we put it in human terms that, well, if my wife or my husband or my kids do this, then I would stop loving them. Oh, you probably stop liking them for sure. But when we talk about God's love, is there anything to stop God from loving me? I mean, in some places today, at least in my house it didn't, it rained. Can you stop the rain? No. No. We, we don't have the power to stop the rain. We think we have the power to make it rain, but we don't have the power to stop it rain. But what we can do, let's see if this is even going to work. Come on. It's supposed to be spring What I can do is protect myself from the rain, right? Get under the sun big, huge, my big body under this umbrella, and I can stay dry. I can protect myself from the rain. Or I can pop on an umbrella and protect myself from God's love pouring down on me. Whether that be rebellion, whether that be sin, whether that be indifference, I can pop my umbrella and stay away from the effects of God's love in my life. But it's always going to be raining out here. I can't stop the rain, but I can personally prevent God from impacting my life, having anything to do with my life. I can pop an umbrella and block it, block him. He's given me the free will to do that. Some of you superstitious people, don't worry. Uh, He's given me the free will to block that, um, my choice. That's why when he says he's not wanting anyone to perish, he takes no delight in that. That's why he sent his son. His desire is that everyone will come to repentance. Will that happen? We say no. Does God want it to happen? Yes. But he's given us this free will. He's given this opportunity to choose. Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God. And turn, and there is no other. Turn all the ends of the earth, everyone. Matthew, Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will what? I'll give you rest. Of course, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, shall never perish but have everlasting life. That is God's desire. So if I take that verse and kind of put some blanks there, and I were to substitute my name, God is patient towards Tim. Not wishing for Tim to perish, but for Tim to come to repentance. Read that putting your name in there. Right now, do that. I have to do it out loud. God is holding back his wrath. He's holding back that because 
He wants everyone to come, but sooner or later there's going to come a time. There's going to come a day, he says. And that's why verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, and everything in it will be laid bare. See, this day, the day of the Lord, 19 times in the Old Testament, it talks about the day of the Lord, four times in the New Testament. The Old Testament was always pointing to the day of the Lord was either this near judgment that was going to happen on Israel or it was talking about a future judgment down the road. The New Testament puts it with words of day of wrath, day of visitation, the day of the great day of the God, uh, God Almighty. This day when God will say, enough, it's time. And how that day will come, it'll come like a thief when you least expect it. I mean, we can plan for a thief. We've got locks on our doors. We have alarms. We have gates. We have all those things. But a good thief plans when you're not ready, when you've left the gate open or the door open, when you've let down your guard. He's going to come that fast over throughout Scripture. It says that over and over again. In your notes, there's a lot of Scripture to look up. He's going to come like a thief. When you least expect it, without warning, he will come. And when he does, the heavens will disappear with a roar. That's why I wanted you to see that visually. How can that even happen? Because in the next verse, he talks about everything just melting away. You know, there's... I looked this up. There are basically five kinds of classes of fire. There's class A, B, C, D, and K, which interesting K should be up there in A. B. You know, there's fires that normally, like forest fires, grass fires that are put out with water. But then kitchen fires, usually if there are oil involved, you know, water's not a good thing, okay? So you need something different to put that out. Electrical fires, you need something different. There's a class D fire, which water almost makes it worse. And so it, it has to be smothered because of the intensity of the heat. I remember my uncle, he was served in Vietnam with the Marines, and usually if he had one too many beers, we'd hear all the stories. And he'd always talked about when, you know, the new recruits would come in, the first duty that these new Marines would have to do would be napalm duty, where they had to fill up the, the, the bombs with napalm. And so napalm is basically a gelatin gas that sticks to your skin and burns at 2,100 degrees. And so what the funny thing was to do with the new recruits is after they worked in this for a couple days, their, their boots were soaked with it, they come up and light their, their shoelaces on fire, which all of a sudden the guy's trying to put water, but water will not put it out. You literally have to dig a hole. It'll burn underwater. Dig a hole and bury your own feet for it to go out. And they thought it was funny as all get out when they got to do it to the other person. Because fire, I mean, the intensity, but this intensity that the Bible is talking about, everything, that's why, again, that scene where everything just evaporates with intense heat. The heavens will pass away with a roar, which everyone I've talked and that I've heard talk about a fire that it's coming, especially through a forest fire, it sounds like a roar, a train. Verse 11 says, since everything will be destroyed this way, 
what kind of people should you be? Which is kind of a rhetorical question. And what's interesting, this can really be translated, which I, I, I like this because it's making a statement, how astonishingly excellent you ought to be if all this is true. If all this is true that God doesn't want anyone to perish, if all this is true, he's going to come like a thief in the night. If all this is true that heavens are going to be destroyed, how astonishingly excellent you should be right now in that, in that truth, in that fact. And then, and then he goes on, you should be living holy and godly lives. Holiness, how I conduct myself externally with other people. Godliness, how internally, my heart attitude, and how I have reverence to God. You've got both the outside and the inside, because why? This truth, God's not slow. He's going to come, and when he comes, it's going to be a thief in the night. And the day of the Lord where judgment is going to come on this earth. And all of a sudden we're going to be caught up in this. I mean the earth is going to be destroyed but a new heavens and a new earth. How astonishingly excellent you should be. Verse 12. So as you look forward to that day of God. And speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heaven by fire. The elements will melt away. As you look forward. And that's only a question you can answer. Do we really look forward? I mean, we usually look forward if you're a student right before exam day. You know, Lord Jesus come. Or maybe before a huge medical procedure. Lord Jesus come. Or before the, the money is due. Lord Jesus come. I mean, usually, well, I mean, we're really looking forward to the day when bad things are happening around us. But he's not talking, he's talking about every day. Are you looking forward? Because if you are, there's a promise to you. Paul makes this in 2 Timothy 4.8. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed, what? For his appearing. God will reward you. And I think because God will reward you because you're, you're living differently than others. I mean, you're living differently because this day of God, which, wait a minute, you already said the day of the Lord. See, there's the day of the Lord, which talks about judgment, but the day of God is when everything comes about. When the enemies are now the footstool that the, that the scriptures talk about. When all of a sudden we come into heaven itself, when all of a sudden everything is resounded, his whole plan is now coming about. That's the day of God. The day of the Lord is the judgment, but the day of God when it all comes about. And when you are looking forward to the day of God, you will speed its coming. Now, <laughs> it was this morning as I'm sitting out in my poker room, speed its coming. I've always looked at that, that, Guys, if we are true about what the scriptures say, if we are true about just to be sharing Christ with as many people as we can, we will make that day happen quicker than, it, than, than any other time. Because if all, we all got involved and we are all sharing our faith and people are coming to Christ, then that ticker will come down even closer. Jesus will get here sooner than God had set in motion, which puts a lot of power in our hands. I, I, I'm not necessarily... I don't think that's what it's saying. And what hit me today was speed it's coming. And I thought of Christmas. No. 
Only 97 days away for you who are counting. Now, at that instant moment, some of you are going, I know, I've already been buying things. Some of you, 97 days? Oh, no! I mean, the pressure of that. Because here's the thing about Christmas. Growing up as a kid, I, I, well, to, still this day, I love Christmas. I love the decoration. I love the tree. But in our house, when we put up the gigantic Christmas tree and we've got the, 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 the ornaments that have names from everyone that's been born in our family, put it on, and then we'd actually use icicles. Remember when icicles were a big thing? And, you know, mom would put them on like this and we'd just kind of throw them up there. And then Day would, days would come and then more gifts and more gifts would pile underneath the tree and that anticipation that Christmas was coming. And for a kid, it was like it just time slowed down. <laughs> right? Now, why is it different as an adult? Time speeds, it's 97. Soon it's going to be 45. Then I, I, I got I to gotta go buy, buy the food, and I got to get gifts. What am I going to do with Uncle Bob? I got to get him something. And all of a sudden, we're like this, and it's just, what happens with time? It speeds up. It just keeps faster. And it just gets... What's the difference? See, the person who's... I can't wait till it's here and time is slowed down. All they're doing is waiting. The purpose, person who's preparing, time is a whole nother thing for them. Now, we all know time is time. We all know that it all works the same, even though the older I get, the faster time becomes. No, it doesn't. It just probably we have more things going on. And I'll, uh, it's just happening. I got to do this. I got to do this. We got a wedding in two weeks. I mean, we got this. We got this. We got this. This is going to how much time we got this. And we're actually going to try to do this. Well, I mean, all that that's wrapped up in that, because when you're part of the planning, when you're part of the preparing, time goes by real fast. And I think that's what Peter was thinking. Because if you're living godly and holy lives, if you're truly looking forward to that day, that day of God when he sets all things right, that time will be here like that. It won't slow down. Because the people were saying, oh, he's slow. They didn't care about the day of God. They didn't believe it in any way. And what do you guys say? You know, he haven't been here in 2,000 years. Well, God's timing is rarely my time. His timing, always perfect. If I'm waiting and doing nothing, time slows down. But if I'm waiting and getting ready, time seems to fly by when you've got stuff to do. I mean, I literally, I looked at my watch. It was 6.40 when I left my poker room. And by the time I went into my bedroom, it was 7.25. What had you, what just happened? I mean, I swore I checked all my clocks. The time just went like this. How did it go? I go from here. All right, I had my PowerPoint. I had to download. I had to do this. There's no way that took that much time. And I was trying, where to go? Because all of a sudden, man, you talk, I got to hurry. I got to get dressed. I got to get this. I got to get this. got to get the notes done. got to get this. got to get this. Time speeds by when we're getting ready. And when I am living in anticipation for his coming, and I'm living a holy and godly life where, man, I've got my inside taken care of, I've got my outside, I'm doing the things that God has called me to do, which before time began, he's given me an assignment to do. And that's why verse 13, keeping with his promise, 
We are looking forward to that new heaven and that new earth, the home of righteousness. That home where we can settle down and finally have peace with God. God's time is rarely our timing, but his timing is always perfect. Swindoll, in commenting on this section, he says, what we need to do as Christians, we need to clean up, look up, and speak up. I like that. We need to clean up. What areas of your life require some cleaning up? In your notes is an assignment. Read Galatians. Because it gives two lists there. It gives a list of living in the flesh, and it gives a list of living in the spirit. And I took the time, I, I put the list there in your notes. So if I'm going to clean up, then I need to look down that fleshly thing. What things do I need to knock out? What things do I need to work on? And then with the spirit, what things am I, am I not doing very well with this whole spiritual part? Is it joy? Is it peace? Is it kindness? Is it goodness? Is it self-control? Where do I need to zero in on? And Mark does. Going, all right, Lord, this week, this will be my focus. Look up. How can we live each day in constant expectation of his return? Well, maybe wake up each day that he could come back today. I mean, again, if you woke up every morning, today could be the day. It could happen. Then you're probably going to look at your life a little bit differently, the things that are on your docket, the things that have to get done. And maybe some things will just have to change because it's not that important in the first place. That's why I, I, when I was typing this, I wrote down, looking up. In anticipation that I'm going to get to see my dad again, my mom. See my brother. See a long list of friends that I've lost. I remember my, after my dad died, my mom told me about a dream she, she had, and she said, yeah, dad was walking into heaven, and there was Billy, and there was his mom and grandma, and hugging and everything else, and I, I was just so mad. Mom, that sounds like a beautiful picture. Why were you so mad? He didn't look back and wave at me. Mom, he's, he's kind of celebrating this. Isn't it exciting? And I don't know if you think about that much. Well, the older you get, you do think about those things. Because you've lost more people. That when I think about seeing my dad, who I miss, my mom, who I miss, my family that I miss. So clean up, look up, speak up. With whom can you share Christ before it's too late? So I take that phrase again. So if I were to say right now, what one person you know right now in your life who needs to know Jesus, think of that name and put him in there, put a her in there. God is being patient toward Not wishing for her to perish, but for him to come to repentance. Matthew 24, 14 says this, and 
this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Because there's a time. We don't know it. Is it soon? Well, it's one day sooner than it was yesterday. If I read the tea leaves looking about around things around me, is this world getting crazy? Certifiable. But he's called me to live astonishingly, exceedingly excellent life of holiness and godliness. Looking forward to that day when he makes all things right. Looking forward to that day that I get to see those who have gone before. And I can speed that coming by not just sitting waiting, but doing the things that he's called me to do. Because when you're busy, time seems to fly by. But ultimately, back to that. God wants everyone to be saved, but I can block that. The reign of God's love, I can put my umbrella up of indifference, sin, rebellion. I have to choose to take the umbrella and put it away. That's when God, God's love shines down. If you're here today and you're a believer in Christ. Look at your life. Look at, analyze this. That's what Peter's saying, guys. Time is short. You don't know when he's coming. Be like a thief. Get ready. Do that which God has told you to do, prepared you to do, gifted you to do. Be involved because that time is going to go by so fast. You get to be a part of his plan. You get to be, to help in the process. Go out and share with people. Tell, the, tell your friend, God's being patient with you. Do you understand? He doesn't want anyone to perish. That's why he's held back. That's why his wrath is such huge wrath is stored up. He's going to pour There's going to be that day, but it's not here yet. There's still time. How do I live with that anticipation? Make a list of those who need to hear the truth. Those who you invite to church. Those who you come over to your house and have a meal those who you're supposed to live such a life that when they come to you and ask you, why are you living this way? What is the reason for the hope that you have? Let me tell you what it is. But if you're here this morning and you have that umbrella up, maybe today is the day you're going to close it down and say, God, it's time. I've been indifferent to you. I know I know you're there. I know you've been told over and over you want a relationship with me. And so maybe today I, you've believed it for the first time. I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen. And again, I say it every time. It's not a prayer that saves you. It's the attitude of your heart. I change the words most every time. But this is how you begin that. So whether you're in this place or you're watching online, 
Let's all of us say this together. Father, you want me to truly, truly be known. You sent your son Jesus in order that I can know you. Thank you that you are so patient with me. Thank you for waiting for me to receive you into my life. Today, I repent of my sin. I turn to you as the only source of my salvation. I receive as a gift your promise of salvation. Today, I pledge to follow you all the days of my life. Father in heaven, for those who are here who are believers in you, in you Father, may there be an anticipation. May there be looking forward to your return. May they be living lives of holiness and godliness, which, which will draw people, which will speed your coming. In our own lives, it'll speed it. Father, for you desire no one to go to hell. You didn't create hell for us. You created hell for the angels who have fallen from you, the demons, and those who totally reject you. Father, may we be that people that help others come to understand the truth, that you are love, that we can help others to bring down their umbrella of indifference, their umbrella of rebellion, their umbrella, umbrella of sin. And for those here or online who maybe you've said that prayer for the first time, may you fill them with your spirit. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.